Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org friendshipwithgod.org or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. It's like Esau is saying that, you know, I feel more comfortable around these idolatrous Canaanites than around these Jehovah Witnessing people, you know, my people. It's just more comfortable. Uh, You know, why? You know, I feel more comfortable in an environment where man is exalted rather than God. And he didn't take Isaac's God because he despised Isaac's God, his father's God. And he didn't take the salvation of Isaac's God because he despised that too. And that's a picture that we really have here of the first Edomite in the Bible. It's Esau. It's a picture we have of the last Edomite in the Bible that we have, who's King Herod. King Herod was an Edomite. And Edomenia, that's Edom, see? So just as the Edomites were kings, as we see in this chapter here, Herod was a king. And just as the Edomites despised God's salvation, Herod despised God's salvation when he came, when God's salvation came in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. First thing we see about Herod there in Matthew 2, 16, is that when Herod, that Herod, when he saw that he was mocked of the wise men, he was exceeding wroth and sent forth and slew all the children that were in Bethlehem and all the coasts thereof from two years old and under, according to the time which he had diligently inquired of the wise men. So he's got this hatred of God's salvation so much, he'll kill all the children so we can kill them. And, and, and this hatred of the, of the Edomites against God's salvation, we see it last in Luke 23, 11, in Luke 23, 11, where it says, and Herod, with his men of war, set him, the Lord Jesus Christ, at naught, and mocked him, and arrayed him in a gorgeous robe, and sent him again to Pilate. So this is, this is Edom. Okay. So when it says in verse six that Esau took everything he had, and then in verse eight that Esau moved into Mount Seir, it's really a fulfillment of the prophecy that Isaac gave about Esau in Genesis 27:40. See, Isaac gave very specific prophecy about him, Genesis 27:40, when it says, Isaac looks at Esau and he says, By thy sword, by thy sword shall thou live, shall serve thy brother, shall come to pass when thou shalt have the dominion, that thou shalt break his yoke from off the neck. See, Esau lived by his sword by the sword. He lived by the sword. When he was in Isaac's home, he, he, was the, he was the hunter. He was the man of the field. You know, he was the hunter. Uh, I, I try to be the hunter. I try to kill these rabbits, but I can't kill the rabbits. I'm not like Esau. <laughs> anyway, the rabbits are tormenting me. But Esau, he's like the little Lord in his house there. It's like the little Lord. 
And now he moves out of Isaac's home and he's become a nation of hunters and a nation of warriors and a nation of lords and a nation of dukes, these warlike commanders in general, all of them conquering with the sword, anyone who opposes the rule over them. They're all living by the sword. Isn't it interesting that the descendants of Esau, the Saudi Arabians, they have a flag, just one symbol on their flag. You know what it is. It's a sword. That's what they got. And one phrase, you know, there's only one God, that's Allah, and so forth. Anyway, and um, this last week, a colleague of mine is Scannabodies, he was telling me how he was visiting his aunt, only he calls him his auntie, but anyway, his aunt in Nigeria, because he's part Nigerian. And he said that when he was 10 years old, visiting her in Lagos, where they were in Nigeria, and he said he saw a robber, he witnessed a robbery in the marketplace. Someone was stealing in the marketplace, and he's 10 years old. And he said they caught him, and, and right away, someone ran in, got a machete, and cut his hand off right in front of him. And he was in shock, and his, his auntie told him, don't you tell anybody in the States about this. You know, okay, sword. Now, we see here in verse 7 why Esau left Jacob. It says in verse 7 that their riches were more than they might dwell together. And the land wherein they were strangers could not bear them because of their cattle. See, this wasn't the first time that this problem came up. You know, they found that there just wasn't enough grazing land for the two families. That's what happened, you remember. That's what happened between Abraham and Lot in Genesis 13, when it says that there was this strife that had come up between the herdmen of Abraham's cattle and the herdmen of Lot's cattle. And it says the Canaanite and the Perizzite dwelled in there, then in the land, so they were watching this. And Abraham said unto Lot, let there, be no, let there be no strife, I pray thee, between me and thee and between my herdmen and thy herdmen, for we be brethren. Is not the whole land before thee? Separate thyself, I pray thee, from me. If thou wilt take the right hand, then I'll, I'll take the, if you'll take the left hand, I'll take the right. And if thou depart to the right hand, I'll go to the left. And Lot lifted up his eyes and beheld all the plain of Jordan. It was very well watered everywhere. It's just like a garden, beautiful. Before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, even as the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt, as thou comest into Zoar. Then Lot chose him, like he took, all the plain of Jordan. And Lot journeyed east, and they separated themselves the one from the other. Abraham dwelt in the land of Canaan. Lot dwelled in the cities of the plain and pitched his tent towards Sodom. But the men of Sodom were wicked and they were sinners before the Lord exceedingly. So here's a, report, here's a repeat right here again. The sexual perversion of Sodom and Gomorrah it didn't bother Lot because the land was rich. And Lot says, you know, I can become rich. So he chose the land, sexual perversions and all. And the idolatry of the Hittites in Mount Seir, that didn't bother Esau because he saw he could become strong. So Esau chose that land, idolatry and all. Now, Oh, I got a question for you now. You look at verse 10. I want you to see this now. You look at verse 10, and you see these sons here, the grandsons. Okay, you got Taman and Omar in verse 10, and Zepho and Gatam and Kanaz. What are they called in verse 10? They're sons, right? They're sons. They're called sons. Now, now, Clinton, you look at verse 15 and 16, you got the same names. Taman, Omar, Zepho, Gatam, and Kanaz called. Now what are they called? 
Dukes, Dukes. It's now Duke Taman, Duke Omar. It's referred to his son. Duke Zepho, Duke Kenaz in verse 16, and Duke Kenaz. See, what do we see here? They all graduated to be Dukes. And we see the same is true for another son of Eliphaz named Amalek, very important person. Amalek in verse 12. And what do we see in verse 16? He graduates in verse 16. He's now Duke Amalek. That's the beginning of the Amalekites. And so we see the same thing is true of the sons of Ruel in verse 13. They're just, you know, in verse 13, they're just Nahath, Zerah, Shammah, and Mitzah. But then in verse 17, we see their graduation. Now they're Duke Nahath, Duke Zehah, Zerah, Duke Shammah, and Duke uh, Mitzah, see? So, and the same is true, the sons of Esau, in verse 14, which is the, they got Jehush, Jalam, and Korah, they graduate in verse 18, and now they're Duke Jehush, and Duke Jalam, and Duke Korah. See, Duke as in the sense of military commander, captain with soldiers under them. So Esau, he wants to have this big empire, and so he gets three wives. It's a little disappointing for him, you know, he's got three wives and five sons, you know, I mean, you know, at least he could have done like Jacob, had four wives and 12 sons. But anyways, that's what happens. But then he goes and has a lot of grandsons, so things are looking up. But he's got this goal of conquering, so his sons and his grandsons, he makes them graduate to become dukes, okay? And no wonder Jacob is afraid, you know, when he, when he hears that, that Esau is coming to meet him in Genesis 32, 6, when it said, and the messengers returned to Jacob saying, we came to thy brother Esau, who also he cometh to meet thee, and 400 men with him. You know, 400 men, and they weren't all carrying tables and chairs and awnings, you know, so they could have a big party out there, you know. They were carrying the, the swords. See, Esau has got one goal in life, and it's to conquer. And it wasn't easy there for Esau, because when he came to Mount Seir, he didn't exactly find it not inhabited. Verse 20, who did Esau find occupying Mount Seir when he came to it? Who were they? Verse 20. Who was there before Esau? Yeah, the sons of Seir, who are the Horites. They inhabited the land. These are the sons of Seir, the Horite, who inhabited the land, Lotan, Shobal, and so forth. So the Horites, they're the same as the Hittites. See, Esau, he didn't have a particular great love for the Hittites, but at first he really couldn't conquer them because they were stronger than him. So what does he do? He intermarries within them. So Esau was not raised in idolatry, but Esau found no problem with the idolatry of the Hittites because Esau's name was Edom, which means that he despised the one God. He despised God. And what's tragic is verse 21 here, verse 21, where it goes on to say, and Dishon and Ezra and Dishon, these are the dukes of the Horites, the children of Seir in the land of Edom. So what would you find here is right in the middle of the genealogy of Esau, we've got plugged in the genealogy of the Horites, which shows that Esau became numbered with the Horites, with the Hittites. See, even though Esau is born to Isaac, when he deserted Isaac's God, Esau is no longer numbered with Isaac's family. He's now, he becomes numbered with the enemies of God, the Hittites. And this shows us 
that even though children may have grown up in a Christian home, if they desert the Lord Jesus Christ, they become numbered with the lost. All right, now, not only were they called dukes, but according to verse 31, what else were they called? They're called kings, right? Just like Isaac said, a kings are gonna come from you. Kings, okay, in verse 31, these are the kings that reigned in the land of Edom before there reigned any king over the children of Israel. And that was kind of a tragedy when Israel asked for a king. It wasn't God's plan. Okay, don't ask me why we don't have a pastor here or, or, or at the New Creation Museum Church. But anyway, they wanted a king, so God said, okay, but okay, never mind. Now, so the Edomites adopted this pagan practice of having kings to rule over them before Israel adopted it, tragically. Now, all this emphasis in this chapter on dukes and kings shows us the emphasis of the person who is without God, who the Lord Jesus Christ referred to as the princes of the Gentiles. He calls them the princes of the Gentiles, and he describes a practice of the princes of the Gentiles in Matthew 20, 25. Matthew 20, 25, it says, Jesus called, unto, called, called them unto him and said, you know that the princes of the Gentiles exercise dominion over them, and they that, that are great exercise authority upon them. So what he described, what the Lord Jesus Christ described about these the princes of the Gentiles is this dominion, is this authority, exercising dominion and authority. Now, when you look at the last verse in this chapter, which is verse 43, what do you learn about the, about the names of the dukes? So you look at it carefully there, verse 43, and tell me, what do you learn about the names of the dukes? Yeah, it, see, it says there, according to the habitation of their land in their possessions. In other words, that it means this, that the land that they ruled over, they gave their name to. So the land that they ruled over had their name. So Esau, was he was very busy building this mighty empire. He was fortifying cities. He was deeply entrenching himself in the land that he, that he was over. He was naming those lands. Those lands were, na- lands were named after his sons and after his grandsons. See, Esau and his family lived like men of the earth. That's the title, men of the earth, even naming the earth, the parts of the earth after them, men of the earth. Men of the earth have no sight. They have no interest in heaven, just in earth. See, their eyes, you might say, are all constantly downward. They're not looking up to heaven, they're looking down to earth. This is how the lost live today, like men of the earth. They don't have any sight. They don't have any interest in heaven. You try to talk to the lost about God in heaven, the conversation all of a sudden gets awkward. It gets uncomfortable. And it's obvious why. They don't have any sight. They don't have any interest in heaven or God. They've got a life down here. They're trying to build themselves like Esau, entrench themselves on earth, as it says that, as it says here. Now, in the meantime, while all of this great, you know, mighty kingdom is being built and, and this, uh, you know, entrenching is taking place. In the meantime, how about Jacob, all right? How about the other side of the family, Jacob? 
Well, what do we learn about him? Well, if you go to the next chapter, chapter 37 and verse 1, it's like, by contrast, you know, after chapter 36 about Esau, by contrast, it says, and Jacob dwelt in the land wherein his father was a stranger in the land of Canaan. So Jacob, by contrast, he's not fortifying himself in cities. Jacob's not entrenching himself in lands and naming them after his family. Jacob was living like his father lived, a pilgrim, a foreigner. I mean, while Esau was becoming established on the earth, Jacob is living as described in Hebrews 11.38, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and in mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. So that's so different from Esau's family. I mean, Esau's family, Esau's family is quite a family. I mean, do you, you know, verse 40, you know, see in verse 40, these are the names of the dukes that came of Esau according to their families after their places. That means they're naming them after themselves by their names, and it goes on. You just imagine what a family reunion looked like of Esau. <laughs> I mean, you know, I mean, I want you to meet uh, my brother over here. He's Duke Ava. He rules over all this land of Ava. Oh, and I want you to meet my cousin over here. You know, he's Duke Timna, and and he has this empire. Empire. He's actually a king, you know. Oh. I mean, it must have been one person after the other trying to outdo with their power and their authority. It, now, now we come along here and we come to, we're looking at verse 24, where we have this kind of like, hmm, what has this got to do with anything statement? And these are the children of Zibion, both Aja and Anna. This was that Anna that found the mules in the wilderness as he fed the asses of Zibion, his father. What's that got to do with anything? Why is this plugged in here? I mean, who cares about mules, right? We're talking about the family of Esau here. You know, we're told about this son of Zibion. His name is Anna. And we're told that he finds mules in the wilderness while he's off, you know, feeding his donkeys, his donkeys of his father. Why is this put in here? This is the first time in the Bible that mules, we find the word mules. And it's like it's like a new animal, and it is. It's not, you know, it's it's... It's, it's an unusual animal. And so what Anna has done here, he's discovered a new animal. You know, he's discovered this new animal, which is a cross between a, a horse and a donkey. It's the mule. And, and so why this is plugged in here, this, is, this becomes a really important discovery because it shows us that a great discovery was made by one of the family members of Esau. It shows us that even though the family of Esau, they forsaken God, God has allowed them to make great discoveries. And, and, you know, the way of the transgressor is hard, but it's not that the lost don't have any great experiences like scientific discoveries on earth. It's just that they've neglected the greatest discovery in life, which is that the Lord Jesus Christ is God. And sometimes, you know, we, we see this, and, and, and we see this, this, the success, the discoveries that the lost make, and we say, oh, man, Olivia's. How come he got to discover that, you know? And we kind of come out of it with Psalm 73, 2 on our minds, when which says, but as for me, my feet were almost gone. My steps had well nigh slipped. I was envious at the foolish. David's being really honest here. I was envious at the foolish when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. And he looks at it and he says, 
boy, there's no bands in their death. Their strength is firm. They're not in trouble as other men. Neither are they plagued like other men. Pride compasses them about as a chain. Violence covers them as a garment. Their eyes stand out with fatness. They have more than heart could wish. They're corrupt. They speak wickedly concerning oppression. They speak loftily. They set their mouth against the heavens. Look at them there. Just you. And their tongue walketh through the earth. Therefore, his people return hither, and the waters of full cup are running out to them. And they say, how does God know? Ah, he doesn't know. Is there any knowledge of the Most High? Not even aware of what I'm doing. Behold, these are the ungodly who prosper in the world. They prosper in the earth. They are the men of the earth. They increase in riches. And then the psalmist says, I'm wasting my time. The psalmist says, verily, I've cleansed my heart in vain. I've washed my hands in innocency. For all day long have I been plagued and chastened every morning. Boy, Jacob could say that. He could sit there and say, look at Esau. He's so successful. He's making discoveries. He's got all this land. Everybody's in dominion. They're all, he could say, Jacob could say that. He says, what am I doing? I'm washing my, my heart in vain. I'm, uh, you know, I'm cleansing my heart. I'm saying, oh, I sinned. Oh, I got to go to God and offer the sacrifice. Oh, I've sinned. Oh, he's not doing that. And he's successful. And then he, the psalmist says, if I, if I say, I will speak thus, behold, I should offend against the generation of thy children. So, you know, if Jacob looks at Esau and thinks all those thoughts, he goes, better not say a word. I'm going to mislead the believers here. And he says, but when I thought to know this, it was too painful for me until I went into the sanctuary of God. Then understood I their end. See, what he said, what he was only focused on the middle part, not their end, but the middle part, he said, oh, I'm envious. But when he went into the sanctuary of God, like the tabernacle, then the first thing he saw was the altar. And the first thing he saw was that, man, I need a sacrifice. I can't get to God without a sacrifice. And they don't have a sacrifice. Therefore, I understand their end. It's bad. They don't have a sacrifice. Which is why at the Creation Museum, when we have the tabernacle there, after that was built, and my wife Cheryl, she insisted that there should be these stuffed lambs, you know, little lambs, at the entrance, and we have them there, you know, a bunch of little stuffed lambs in the little, little area there. And she insisted that everybody who walks into the tabernacle should be given one of those stuffed lambs, and they should sit there in the theater there, the tabernacle theater, with that lamb in their lap. Why? Because no one comes into God's presence without a sacrifice. No one comes into God's presence without an acceptable sacrifice. And so when he saw this, the psalmist saw this, he says, oh man, they don't have a sacrifice. They're in deep trouble. I understand they're in. Okay, now, when you look at the first verse of this chapter, now these are the generations of Esau who is Edom, and then you have this long list of dukes and kings. This is Edom. This is the goal of his life. He wanted to have dominion. He wanted to have authority. These are his generations. A very impressive list. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.com. 
friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org to sign up for his daily devotional verse. Now, Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestoration.org. Or you can write Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711-330, P.O. Box 711-330, Santee, California. That's S-A-N-T-E-E, Santee, California, 92071. Or you can email Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org, Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor, founder of Israel Restoration Ministries and our Bible teacher on the Friendship with God radio program, has created the Friendship with God Study and Reference Bible. It's a King James Study and Reference Bible with over 2,200 total pages, 13 and a half point large font, and has over 600 pages of Bible helps and resources. It has Hebrew root notations in the Old Testament and over 30,000 Bible column and inline scripture references. It also includes daily bread reading notations, a tour of the Bible scripture journey, 12 custom-made full-color maps, and a full-color nine-page History of Israel timeline map. Not to mention incredible concordance and the most popular Bible scripture references section, Bible reference help section, and hundreds and hundreds of other personalized pages from Tom Cantor to grow your friendship with God. It's printed on Finland thin paper printing technology and covered in a black lambskin leather cover with gold lettering. To order your Friendship with God study and reference Bible, go to our homepage on friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org.